Hi, I'm Alice Watson, the Education Officer from the Poetry Society. You're about to hear the 2019 Foyle Young Poets of the Year Award Top 15 winners read their award-winning poems. The Foyle Young Poets of the Year Award is the biggest poetry competition in the world for young people aged 11 to 17. Many past winners are some of the most exciting poets writing and performing today, including Jay Bernard, Caroline Bird, Helen Mort, Sarah Howe, Phoebe Power, and many more. We hope you enjoy this podcast, and if you're a young person aged between 11 and 17 and feel inspired to write your own poem, you can still enter this year's Foyle Young Poets of the Year Award, which closes on the 31st of July. It's free to enter online at foyleyoungpoets.org. Hi, I'm Amy Saunders, and this is my poem, You're Not Black. I wrote this poem after a rough day with my friends and um, I guess it was just like them talking and talking to me and saying, listen, Amy, like your taste in music, the way that you eat your, like your food, it's not like a typical, it's not something that a typical black person would do. And I took great offence to it. And I remember just storming in, um, coming home and just going on the computer and just typing up the skeleton of a poem and just telling, just telling all my negative emotions into it. And this is the product of it. You're Not Black by Amy Saunders I sit with them at lunch, fried chicken on my plate. I eat with a knife and fork. You're not black if you don't use your hands to eat. Yet I know that hands tied up the strange fruit in the trees in the south. The fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. I don't recognise the Caribbean music or the Afrobeats. I only know of Litz, Chopin, and Ludovico and Audi, whose names you probably never heard. You're not black, if you don't know this beat. Yet I'm familiar with the beat of pounding, pounding of sugarcane, the whipping of backs, the cries and screams of my ancestors rang loud in my head centuries later. So how dare you? How dare you put me down? Question my ethnicity, I'm still a shade of brown, and I'm sorry if I don't live up to your black norms. But I live in a world where segregated dorm society crushes me, tells you I'm ugly, but copies my features. They must think it's funny. I'm not trying to in any way be mean, but I live in a society covered in white sheen. Sorry to bother you, but I should get out, because the hate you give leaves me with no doubts. That I'm not the help, the help that you need, but the hidden figures are clear to see. That I should stop trying to be black and just try to be me. My name is Annie Davison and my poem is called Clocks. I wrote it sort of about timing and the weirdness of timing and just playing with that idea of how it could all be very different. So yeah, I guess it's a bit strange. It sort of fits in with this very surreal time now. Yeah. Clocks. Our clocks forgot to go back this year. Or maybe their hands have become stubborn in old age. So we live an hour ahead now. Flowers drooping before their petals fall. Plates dropping when the guests have not yet arrived. When I sit on bridges and watch water sleepwalk, the people on boats are laughing backwards. My skin feels less real and more like rubber. But if I trace myself back to my origins, I was paper-like once too. Hi, I'm Sia. I wrote this poem at Auburn last year in a workshop with Jack Underwood on Valentine's Day. Um, it's called Love Poem to Myself because I think that expecting other people to write you love poems in this economy is quite a lot.
Your hair continues to surprise me in its texture after every single wash, like the shock of a photocopier lid realising the other side when it beams white light. I could listen to you listing your band foods for days and tell you bad jokes about music as a food of love for even longer. If I pause to consider how long it takes nurses to find your veins, I too blush with warm pride and joy. Your ears are unremarkable and therefore impossible to improve. When I chance upon your face in the curvature of a kettle, I am overcome by the urge to blow you kisses, as if we are both tethered to the ground, but neither of us want to take off. I'm M Power. Um, this is my foil 2019 poem. It's about class inequality, particularly in the context of the British education system. Meritocracy. And you... You will be sat there surrounded by crackling yellowed pages with a wad of fifty stuffed in your mouth. And me, I'll be sat here all picturesque, swathed in marble carvings and oil paintings older than my childhood home. And I'll silently seethe, let the blood bubble out of my tear ducts, let the red drip onto my brand new tweed jacket. Acknowledge that all my hard work didn't erase the rosary I bit into as a child, didn't turn my sea blood blue. I'll pop an antidepressant and lament my own birth. West London, posh voice, no nails, dark alleyways, and you almost finished your midday snack. Thinking about the gold grandfather clocks you'll melt down for dinner. Hello, my name's Helen Bowell and I'm the Education Coordinator at the Poetry Society. I'm going to be reading Helen Woods' poem, Appointments, which was one of the top 15 winners of the Four Young Poets of the Year Award this year. Just to let you know that this poem contains strong language and references to disordered eating. Appointments by Helen Woods The first doctor insists that my relationship with food is to myself what a seed is to a fruit, that my eating habits are the moon and all my life's catastrophes are the tide. The second doctor makes a diagnosis I can't pronounce. My father tells me I will fuck up my life if I don't get a grip, which is all strictly medical terms. I want a perfect life that everyone is jealous of, I want all the water I touch to turn into pearls. I want a miserable life that everyone is jealous of. Summer is to me what a stained glass window is to a fist. I should have prefaced this poem with an apology to my family and to the NHS because there is nothing you can say to a poet and be certain it won't be set loose again. I want to stand naked in the school hall, on the podium, mid-assembly, so my presence will be so overbearing no one can look away. I want their eyes to burn into my skin, examine its ripples and folds and the scar that digs it up like a trenchant heap. I'd watch a few hundred jaws slowly unhinge, drop down into a mass of O's, all directed at my body, lopsided like the projector its fluorescent beams bouncing on my raw flesh, so each goosebump would have its own time in the spotlight. I want to raise my arms, outstretch my fingertips, 
so everyone can see my hairy armpits and wonky tits, my nipples erect with the cold of a hundred stark looks, so they'd know, so they'd see. I'm not perfect, and in no way do I want to be. Then, when I've got their attention, I want to read them a poem, through the head teacher's microphone, full blast, so that each naked syllable and each naked word spat from my naked throat near bursts their eardrums, before they stand, frozen and agape, and file out. My name is Jean Clorfeld, and uh, here's a couple things about my poem Zaida, uh, which I submitted to the 2019 Foyle Young Poet competition. Um, this was inspired by uh, my grandfather and what he meant to me and what he gave to me. Um, and trying to make up for that loss um, after he died. Uh, trying to make up for not appreciating him when he was alive. Um, I think a lot of people kind of struggle with that where they didn't um, appreciate someone and after their death they find maybe memorabilia or something and they they have a newfound appreciation and they, and they just try and and make it up when they know they when they know they can't so this was my attempt to do that zeta eins my grandfather sat at the foot of my bed at six years old, my tongue bumbled over my anglicized versions of the Yiddish that he tried to teach me. He was six when he learned his second tongue, and I can barely see the first now. I fell asleep to it. Zwei. My grandmother sits in her chair, in her memories and solidarities. Her entire family died in the Holocaust, she said, but they would have been so proud of you. I was eight then and I turned on the television because why should her memories become mine? The rest was drowned out. Fly. My grandfather, the doctor, the American, answered our childish questions with patented Jewish humor. Do you have a middle name? My sister and I, Eleven, asked. No, he said. You are too poor. Why didn't we understand? Why didn't we see it? Fear at Passover. Dusty, labeled bottles lined the bending shelves around Seder, filled with silent and ancient prayer. At twelve, I learned that glass was what remained of the Kristallnacht when the family pharmacy was smashed in. How do you pronounce Kristallnacht? Finif. My grandfather had donated his body to science, true to himself, even in death. We stood in the living room, sitting Shiva. One of his friends stood up. Bob was a mensch, he said. A mensch is someone who is grumpy and a curmudgeon, but he's the best guy you'll ever know. You can't quite place it, but he's one of the best friends you'll ever have. Mensch, was it? Mensch. Zex. He's gone, and I am fourteen, and I have memorized the Hanukkah prayer. I say it with my grandmother for all eight nights. Zeven. I am fifteen now. And I'm moving from America to London, and I have to go through hours of footage from silver, dusty-labeled tapes. I press play, and there's my grandfather, teaching me how to spread cream cheese on a bagel when I was four. I cried and cried and cried, because that is all I have of his teaching now. And I see now that after his death was the only time that I appreciated what he was during his life. Act. I am sixteen. 
and I finally talked to my grandmother about the Holocaust and her family and what I am. We go to the synagogue, seemingly for the first time. Sitting in the car with her, I ask her to put on the Berry Sisters when I had asked to turn it off years before. Can you hear the clarinet in Rhapsody in Blue, that klezmer, that is in your blood, that joy is where you come from? 9. When I am 20, if my grandmother, Bobby, is still here, have I listened to her words and said them like I should and like he deserves? Will I have taken the time and respect to my own blood to carry the star that pained me? Will I have learned? Son, as my grandfather passed on his language to lifeless air as I fell asleep in front of him, how would I have known that out of all the phrases, his real name, it is reduced to almost nothing? Only the numbers remain. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, sieben, acht, nein, zehn. How could I have known? that the decade I didn't speak cost me a tongue. Hello, it's Helen Bowell from the Poetry Society again. I'm going to read Libby Russell's poem, A Word of Advice. We asked Libby where this poem came from, and they told us it stemmed from an interest in social studies. They were reading about the relationship between capitalism and the nuclear family structure. When they started to think about how strange it is that so much of literature revolves around one particular idea of romance, which for them seemed to have such patriarchal, contractual roots. So Libby wrote this poem feeling quite cynical and resentful of love poems and marriage poems that glamorise something that seems to them synthetic. Here's the poem. A Word of Advice by Libby Russell Stop falling in love with people you could write poems about. Stop tripping over and drowning yourself in metaphors and obsessing over similes like your silly white shirt is clouding your judgment. Resist those with whom you could be Radcliffian. Fall in love with no one in any way Byronic or those who may resemble in any sense the rose. Do not fall in love with someone who could drive you down a highway at night and make it feel like you are flying, dizzy on the vitality and the necessity and the kissing and the kissing and the kissing. Minimise the ways in which your love is Italian and ensure that it is in no way French. Just be a bit British about the whole thing. Avoid great passion. Keep your head. It cannot end in anything better than a rhyming couplet. Fall in love with someone who is prose at best. Somebody you could write an article about. A conversational, informational blog. Someone fit for the BBC homepage on a Sunday. Sticking to the facts with just a touch of emotion. Perhaps find someone with clammy palms so you won't mind letting go. Someone who has kissing down to a fine art, by which I mean a neatly framed watercolour. Firm pecs, you could call them sobering, lipless, polite, with just a touch of affection. Don't get used to kissing in Kandinsky colours. Find someone you can go grey with. 
hurdle the white picket fence and tumble through the window of a semi-detached, onto the sofa next to the sensible choice. Someone you could take home to your mother. Someone you can sit with, woodenly, with a cat and a cup of tea, and songs of praise providing the soundtrack to your domestic tedium. Calm down. Grow up. Come to terms with the fact that love like that just isn't for the likes of you. It belongs to other people, sealed away between the pages of an anthology. Think the nation's favourite love poems. Stowed secretly, adulterously, away in a nightstand. Life will be sufficient and you'll get along just fine. Because a tree grown in the dark can never miss the sun. Consider settling for someone you could live safely without, but please stop falling in love with people you could write poems about. Hello, this is Lydia Way, and I'll be reading my poem, The Opioid Diaries. And um, this poem meant a lot to me because it was a way for me to reflect on the opioid crisis by bringing it down to a more personal level and dealing more with the emotional dependence that we get with opioids. Um, so without any further ado, here's the poem. The Opioid Diaries Snooze hit snooze again, wake up, pull on some dirty clothes, run to the bathroom, prep a shot, cold shower, Shrapnel digging into flesh. Later dry hair, wringing out dregs of the banal. Then abyssopelagic ecstasy. When I feel like that, I often feel what I feel. Inventory. 70 milligrams Valium. 200 milligrams Oxy. Two angel feathers. 60 milligrams Clonopin. 90 milligrams Ambien. Probably keep me together for another day. Hold me. Oh, oxy, oxy, my sphinx. I will answer your riddles. I will kiss your paws. I will lick your sweat like ground diamonds. Oh, oxy, oxy, my lovely chambermaid. Wash me like linen sheets. Run me under warm water. Hang me out in the smiling sun to dry. Soften me. Use me up like a bar of soap. Oh, oxy, oxy. Mother dearest, let me fall asleep in front of the TV. Unfinished green beans in my lap. I'm not hungry tonight. Kiss me goodnight. Tuck the blankets under my chin. Oh, oxy, oxy. Butylated hydroxytoline. Hypermellose polyethylene, glycol 400 polyethylene oxide, magnesium stearate, titanium dioxide, hydroxypropyl cellulose. I love you. Linoleum floor. Linoleum floor, linoleum floor, linoleum. Study closely the floor of gas station bathroom where I pulled up, scored some, prepping a shot. Study closely the floor, patterns of how I hurt, how I hurt, how. This room filled with soft shadows, plush carpets, 
creaky floorboards, whispering curtains. How many shots I've done on this old bed? Never, never enough. Hi, my name is Nadia Lines. My poem is called Explaining Memes to Keats and it was inspired by a challenge on the Young Poets Network which asked people to think about the links between poetry and memes. My love for Keats's poetry is the reason I started writing. Keats died at the age of 25 thinking that his poetry would be forgotten and so I often wonder how he would feel about the digital age which is able to preserve people forever. So this is Explaining Memes to Keats. So you see, I say slowly, it's a little engine of remembering... Recalling, reverberating in the mind, like rhyme. So, it can never die, he replies. I avert my eyes. It will, with time. Hello, I'm Suzanne Antelm, and I'm going to read my poem, What Are We Before We Are Mothers? Which, to me, is about the battle between traditional and personal values. What are we before we are mothers? Woman wants to loop herself like a spool of thread into the cupped arms of a mug. Woman wants to use up all her thoughts considering the brown heart of coffee. Woman wants a man with a beard and a dog to lift a mug to his winded lips and swallow her chapped laughter. Woman wants to sew a man together with twine from the bowl of her stomach. Woman wants a man to hollow her out and line her chest with eggshell shoes and yellow milk. Woman wants to not want this. I'm Tallulah Quinto. This poem is one inspired by accepting one's identity. Maple. They named me after a sweet tree, as if to hide my spirit. They named me after a gentle tree, as if to hide my strength. They named me after a small tree, as if I would not grow. They named me after an old tree, as if I was not young. They named me after a living tree, and I will forever live. They named me after a sleeping tree, and I will never sleep. The name they chose is perfect. It holds me young and old. Sweet and able, gentle and bold. That tree is maple. I'm Thomas Frost, and this is The Drowning of Li Po, which is a poem that I wrote about the death of an ancient Chinese poet, and more broadly about uh, striving towards ideals and how that can be uh, self-destructive. It starts with a quote from Epitaphs by Ezra Pound. And Lipo also died drunk. He tried to embrace a moon in the yellow river. The river is drunk, reeling. It tosses the sad poet's prow to the white moon which bays gently in the dark water of heaven. The moon, enraged by this thought's trespass, casts his prow down again to the dark water where its white image sways whore-like, grinning. The poet, likewise grinning, leaps forth into the dark water and cries, choking, his hallelujah. Hello, I'm Trinity Robinson. I'm going to be reading my poem, Phlegathon. I wrote it in 2018 about a situation that was hard to talk about with people so I found this a good way of getting my words out there and I think it can be quite relatable for people because it has that sort of feeling or theme of trying to save people that don't necessarily want to be saved. I, I think a lot of people have a hard time letting go of the fact that they don't get to save everyone and in some cases you have to save yourself first 
and that's why I think people like this one in particular. So here's Phlegathon. When she's set in the dark, I light myself like a candle, burn away the shadows till she's sitting in the sunshine. The only problem with candles is that, in order to glow, they have to burn themselves away. But when she's set in the dark, I swear, it takes everything in me not to set the walls alight, just to see her smile. I hope you enjoyed my poem and thank you for having me on. The poets you just heard in order of appearance were Amy Saunders, Annie Davison, Sia Mangat, Dana Collins, M Power, Helen Woods, Jean Clerfeld, Lauren Hollingsworth-Smith, Libby Russell, Lydia Way, Nadia Lines, Suzanne Antelm, Tallulah Quinto, Thomas Frost and Trinity Robinson. This has been a podcast from the Poetry Society. If you'd like to find out more about our publications, competitions, projects and events, and to discover more from the world of poetry, including new poetry, activities and writing prompts for young people, visit us at poetrysociety.org.uk.